I am thankful that uh, Pastor Chris last week was able to teach on a very important section of Scripture dealing with uh, the Holy Spirit in verses uh, 10 through 13 of 1 Corinthians 2. My experience tells me that uh, most Christians have a decent understanding of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If you were to ask them, okay, tell us about Jesus, most Christians could say uh, second person of the Trinity, son of God, incarnated, virgin birth, fully God, fully man, perfect life, died on a cross as a substitute, buried three days, resurrected on the third day, ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of the throne, Savior of sinners and Lord of all, coming again. Amen? Most Christians probably could articulate something like that. If you were to ask people about God the Father, most Christians have at least a a decent understanding of what role he plays. And part of that is because his name helps us, God the Father, and we uh, relate to that uh, with fatherhood, and we see fathers as being uh, authority figures, as being uh, leaders, as being uh, love. And so we translate that to God the Father, and most Christians see, have a sense that he's the leader of the Godhead, creator, relationship with the Son, Father, Son. Most Christians get that. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, though, it has been my experience that many Christians are confused and perplexed about who this Holy Spirit is and what his role is within the Godhead and within salvation and what he's doing here and what his role is in my life. And I think part of this is uh, also because of his name. And if you grew up in uh, a time where, uh, or a church with the King James Bible, that, like I did, then you can maybe relate to the fact that the Holy Spirit was not called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was called the Holy Ghost. And I remember as a boy being a little weirded out about the Holy Ghost, you know. I mean, I was already afraid of the dark. But if you tell a boy that there is a Holy Ghost that is God and is with you all the time, this is a frightening thing. It was for me. Further, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, somebody always knows somebody who really got into the Holy Spirit and strange things happened, you know. And so in the church, it seems like uh, for many Christians, there's a kind of unease about the Holy Spirit uh, that is truly unfortunate because Jesus said this. Jesus said, it is better for me to leave. This is John 16. It is better for me to leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. Think of that. Like if we were to pick, which would you pick? The bodily presence of Jesus on earth or the Holy Spirit. Most of us probably say, well, I would take the bodily presence of Jesus. But in the the wisdom of God, it is better for the Holy Spirit right now to be here. The Holy Spirit right now is better than even the bodily presence of Jesus. He is called our helper. How many people need help today? All right. He is called our comforter. How many people would like some comfort today? 
God's word brings us in chapter 2 to another great activity, wonderful activity of the Holy Spirit, and that is that he is the teacher. How many of us need a little bit of wisdom today? How many of us would like to know God better today? How many of us would like to know the scriptures a little bit better today? How many people would love to have something leaving today that we can put the foot of our faith on a sure foundation of truth to go out and to live in this crazy world that we live in? I'm in there with that, okay? I need that, I need that this week. He's the teacher. He's the comforter. He's the helper. Which is why it is so unfortunate that in the church so often there is this kind of confusion about him. He is here for our good. And he is a blessing, truly a blessing to the church. And this is what uh, this passage is going to explore for us. And uh, just to touch a little bit on what Chris dealt with last week, beginning in verse 12, Paul writes this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And this is what uh, was taught last week, that the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is that he is the revealer of truth. He is the revealer of God's wisdom. And we saw in weeks prior that God's wisdom is epitomized in the cross. Verse 18, this is folly to the world, but the cross is the wisdom of God. The gospel is the wisdom of God. So what we need to know and what we need to understand is, is found in the gospel. And we could ask the question, well, where are those words found? Are they in the paper? Are they, uh, are they buried in some library somewhere? Or do we have them here in our hands today? The scriptures are, this is, this is the expression of God's wisdom. This is the, the, the teachings on the gospel. It tells us everything we need to know about life and reality and most importantly about salvation and a God who has revealed himself uh, and created the world and revealed himself through his son. We have God's wisdom here. So, The Spirit who has inspired this word is also the revealer of the wisdom to to me. Because this can be out here, and it's great to have it, but unless I understand it, it does me no profit. It does me no good. So somehow it has to get from here to here and to here. How does that happen? The Spirit does that. He is interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So... What we need to realize is that the Spirit is involved in all of this. We may not realize it, but the Spirit is the one on on this earth that is doing the work of God. He is God's empowering presence, as one writer says. And the early church knew this. I read one guy who said, in the early church, if the Holy Spirit would have ceased to to, uh, function, everything would have stopped. But in the modern church today, we've got all our programs, we've got our traditions, the Holy Spirit could disappear and we just kind of go on with the flow just because we got, you know, we've got the little mechanisms in place. They were dependent upon the Spirit. And so Paul now is, is writing, he's teaching about the Holy Spirit, and we need to get this. We need to get it. So our passage today uh, is going to contrast two kinds of people. There is what is known as the natural person, and then there is the spiritual person. And as we read here, see if you can begin to hear the difference. We begin now in verse 14. 
The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, I'm going to admit at first glance that's a little bit confusing. And I'm telling you that right now because some of you I know right now are going, I don't know that I'm going to understand this today. I'm just going to give up right now. Don't give up, okay? Don't give up. Last night got it, and they're no smarter than you are, all right? You can get this. And if you do, it will be a blessing. It will. So let's get into it now. First of all, who is the natural person? He begins by saying the natural person uh, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So what is he talking about with the natural person? And here I think it's helpful to think about the way that we, one way that we use the word, word natural. Like in my family, if it's a Saturday morning and maybe there's a run to the store that's taking place, we might say, hey, are we going au natural? Now what that means to us is we're not gussying ourselves up. We're not showering and cleaning up and go it's just like sweatpants and a ball cap and off we go uh to the store we're going au natural or you might think about natural foods some of you maybe are into natural foods i have a a relative who's recently got into natural foods organic foods and these are foods that have not been uh sprayed by things there's 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 no dna altercation going on in the fruit of some kind they 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 want the fruit like right off the vine you know no human hands even touching it it's got to be pure yeah i say bring the hormones on i want i want that (laughs) but some people are into are into organic meaning that there's no, it's, it's as it is, like off the vine, fresh. So who is then the organic person or the natural person? In context here, the natural person is, the, is mankind as he is. Mankind as he is born, without the influence of the Spirit, which is actually the way the NIV translates this, the man without the Spirit, the natural man. There is no revealing going on. There is no interpreting going on. It is man au natural. This is who we're talking about. Now, why, why is this important to recognize? Because, friends, here's why. We are born sinners. We are born without the natural capacity to understand spiritual truth. Like even these, uh, these little darlings that we had up here early in the service that we were, uh, were dedicating today. They are cute. They uh, are cute. (laughs) But they are sinners. They don't have naturally the capacity or even the desire to pursue and to know spiritual truth, not the kind that God has, which is why parents need help and prayer. We come alongside of them and they dedicate themselves to doing it. Because if you leave that child to himself without the influence of the spirit, there will never be any understanding of faith or or the gospel towards saving faith. This is the natural man. Following Jesus doesn't come naturally. So he now is describing this person and he gives a few characteristics. Here's the first one. 
He does not, the natural man does not welcome or treasure spiritual truth. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Now, the Greek word there for uh, accept, interesting word, it's used normally for welcoming a guest. Welcoming a guest. Now, think about how you do that. Uh, If you have a guest to your home, there's uh, manners call for. Uh, when they come to the door and they knock at the door, that you, you, uh, you, know, you open the door excited that they're there. You know, you know, oh, it's you. You, know, you don't do that. You, you say, hey, we, we couldn't wait for you to arrive. And you say, come, come on in. Welcome. C- come on in. May I take your coat? May I take your coat? Hey, can I get you something to drink? Why don't you come in right here? We've prepared a place for us to sit, and let's sit down, and let's begin to, uh, to share. That's how you welcome a guest into, uh, into the home. The imagery here is of God's wisdom, God, the gospel, at the door of the heart of the natural man. And the natural man goes to the door and sees or hears the wisdom of God and does not welcome, does not open, rather says, I don't, want, I don't want whatever you're saying. I don't want to welcome you here. Why don't you just go away and goodbye? There's no welcoming the things of the Spirit of God. And if I might push this analogy a little bit further, because I think this is important. Listen, for us to understand this, do you see the tragedy then for the natural man? The tragedy for the natural man is that the wisdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ at the doorstep of the heart is the thing that the heart needs. And if it was honest with itself, desperately wants. The unbeliever was not made for himself, was not made for for living for this material world. That heart, like every other image bearer, was made for a relationship with God. And that this has been broken because of sin. And yet, though, as image bearers, we still long for that. We talk about this a lot here. We long and we crave to have a relationship with our Creator. Sin has broken that. And so in our, in our sinfulness now, we turn our worship onto ourselves. And we worship created things rather than the Creator. And this creates the dismay and the troubles of our lives. In fact, for the analogy to be accurate, you have to see the heart... As more like a, a house of horror, where inside there is there is a search for meaning, there is a there is there is confusion, and there is often depression, and there is struggle, and there is a longing for something that brings meaning to life. It is a house with no light, and there is nothing beautiful inside. And so, onto the doorstep of the natural man's heart comes the Holy Spirit, knocking and saying, "I have something for you." I want to tell you and explain to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the thing that they need. It is the light of the gospel of Christ, which shed abroad in the heart of man brings light and glory and beauty to every crevice. This is the thing that we want. I can know this about you today, my dear friend. I look around here. I don't know everybody here, but I can say this about you. You long for this. In the quiet moments of the night, when you think about what is this whole thing all about, there is a desire to connect with the transcendent. And the gospel comes to you and says, this is the way. But the natural man, apart from the Spirit, 
will not welcome it in, will not accept it. Why? Because God's truth and wisdom sounds to the natural man like foolishness. Again, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Folly, foolishness. The gospel sounds like folly, and there is a reason for that. Because of the fall and because of sin, the natural man or woman has a fundamental flaw in the perspective and in the thinking. And the flaw is that it presupposes that man is naturally good. It presupposes that all there is in this world is what can be seen and touched, scientifically examined. This is all that there is. There is no reality. There is no truth beyond this world. We live, we die. That's it. We're we're predisposed to that. And then along comes the gospel. Somewhere the, the material worldview is confronted with the claims of Christianity. And it sounds like folly. Because Christianity basically says the exact opposite of what man naturally believes. For example, it says that man is not basically good. It says that man is basically morally corrupt. It says that we are spiritually dead. It says that we are actually broken in all the key relationships that we long for. God, creation, one another, myself, broken, 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 broken. It's all broken. That the troubles that we have in this world are a result of sinful men acting sinfully, not good men acting goodly. That there is existence after death in heaven or hell. That there's a moral code and a moral creator that we are accountable to. And do you see how this works then? Do you get it? What, what na- man naturally, is just, he's, just, he's just wired to believe the gospel comes along and says the opposite. And so it rubs the natural man the wrong way. And it doesn't sound, what? That can't be right. That doesn't sound right to me. You might as well suggest that 2 plus 2 is 73 or something. That can't be right. It sounds foolish. Here's an example, just one example from this week. Family in our church influenced a young woman uh, for the gospel. She became a Christian. She was getting baptized, and she really wanted her parents to come to the baptism. And she begged them and begged them and begged them to come. They refused And the reason they refused, I quote now, is because to them it was stupid and weird. Stupid and weird. Living out the theology right here from 1 Corinthians 2. That doesn't sound right. That's folly. And the story is repeated over and over again. I'm sure there's many of you who could share a similar story with families or loved ones that you have. To the natural man, the gospel sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. I don't get it. And the reason, there is a reason for this. The reason now, Paul says, is that the natural person, apart from the Spirit, is unable to understand. It's not that they're able and they can't. It is that they are unable to. Again, look at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, And he is not 
able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, these are important words. The key ones there being not able to understand. In other words, you can argue with the natural person. You can shout. You can wave your arms. You can buy the top five books ever written on the subject and give it to them defending the claims of Christianity. But on their own, apart from the Spirit of God, they are not able to understand them. And it's not like we're smarter or anything like that. You're getting the wrong idea. Because it's not what I got here that matters. It is the Spirit that is the difference. That's the point. It's much like an experience I had um, when I was on a trip, and I, I have to apologize, I've, I've, used my, I've used sermon illustrations for my trip to Italy over and over and over again. I am really sorry, but I'm going to give you another one. <laughs> so I'm not that sorry, I guess. But uh, I was there last January, and I stayed in this hotel in Rome. It's like a 10-room enlarged bed and breakfast kind of thing. I mean, it was, it was just like 10 rooms, one level, uh, like third or fourth level. And my room was so small, like the room was barely larger than the bed, literally. And it was like a single bed. Okay. So there wasn't a lot of room to sort of run around in the room. You know, you just kind of slid in, got in bed, (laughs) slid out. But the breakfast buffet at the hotel made up for it. Okay, because this was really, really great. Every morning they had a, this uh, breakfast buffet, and so I would go down there and I would get the uh, the they, in Europe they have pastries basically in the morning as kind of their it's like Cheerios to us. I mean, it's like that's their thing. They have these little pastries and then their morning cappuccino, and I also grew to love. Uh, the cappuccino as well. So breakfast was an exciting time. I would get up, slide out of my bed. I would go down the hallway and I would go to this breakfast buffet bar, get my cappuccino, get my little pastry. Well, there was working at the, at the, at the breakfast buffet, this Italian woman. She was about this tall. Okay. Short Italian woman, older Italian woman. And uh, she just, she was the one there setting things up and all that. Well, for some reason she like took a liking to me. And I would get my stuff, I would sit down at the, my little table, and I would begin eating by myself. And she would come over every morning uh, uh, to talk to me. I knew two words of Italian. Buongiorno, which I'm not saying right, but it's something like that. And that means good morning. And then bella, of course, which is my favorite word. So I know those two words. She knows not one word of English whatsoever. She would come over to my table every morning, and she would just begin to talk to me. I think she was longing for somebody who would listen to her, because she would come over, and she would talk to me, and just, you know, like that. And, and I, I was trying to be polite. I'm in her country, you know, and I, I'd be like, <sighs> didn't stop her. And I just kind of keep eating my little pastry. I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. On she would go. And then the next day, I go, and there she was again, talking to me in the morning. It was actually kind of fun in a weird way. 
you know what I really needed at the table? What I really needed at the table was I needed a translator there, didn't I? Because I'm sure she was saying things that were really neat and important and helpful for my day about the city of Rome. Things that would have been such a blessing for me if I actually knew what she was saying. It would have been so great to have a translator there who could take what she was saying and help me understand it. And that is what the Holy Spirit does to the natural person. And by the way, we're all born natural. Oh, natural. Apart from the Spirit, we can't get it. That woman could have talked to me for the rest of my life. I wasn't going to understand a word that she said. I needed somebody to translate it to me. And the Holy Spirit does that. He translates spiritual truth to natural people so that we can get it and understand it in a way that our hearts, not only our minds understand, but our hearts engage in the truth, which leads into saving faith. And now the the blessings and the prophets of the gospel are appropriated and applied to our life. And this is all by the Spirit. And that is why there isn't one Christian here who should ever look at somebody who doesn't get it and say, I can't believe you don't get it. Like, it's so simple. Don't you understand? No. Were it not for the Spirit in any one of our hearts and lives, we would not seek the glory of Christ. We would see no beauty in the cross. It would sound like nonsense to us. But with the Spirit, oh, this is a different story. With the Spirit, we hear the gospel and we see Jesus on the cross and we realize that this is the wisdom of God, that this is the way of God to reconcile us to Him. And now this becomes not just nonsense to us, but it becomes the most precious and glorious thing that we have ever heard in our life. And it leads the now new person believing to give their life and to say, I'm dedicating myself to this. I'm going to follow Him the rest of my days. This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Where does that come from? The Spirit. He is our helper. He is our teacher. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit's doing it. Verse 13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. And this is commonly known as, if you want to know the theology word for this, it is the doctrine of the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. We are born with no understanding. The Spirit comes and turns the light on, illumines this truth to us in a way that we can understand. Friends, we're born in sin. We are born spiritually dead. You can go to a dead person and you, could, you can talk to that dead person a long time. He ain't going to get it. And you can wave your arms and you can shout and you can say, look at this book right here. Why don't you read this? He ain't going to get it. What does the dead person need in order to understand? Well, first of all, he needs to be made alive, doesn't he? And this is what the Spirit does through what is known as regeneration or what Jesus said in John 3. We are born again by the Spirit. He makes us alive for the very first time. Now, now we're spiritually alive and we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, died for our sins as a substitute. Repent of our sins and follow him and, and you'll be reconciled with God. Sins forgiven, eternal life. We hear that for the first time. Now made spiritually alive. And we want that truth. And that wanting leads to what the Bible calls saving faith or believing in the gospel of John. 
And the fruit of that then is that the Holy Spirit applies all of the benefits of salvation to us. And there are many. Primary is that I now have a right relationship with God. That the wrath is taken away. That the sins and the guilt is taken away. That now I am once again made right with the one who made me for himself. And there is no greater news than that. And I say, and now I'm following him. I'm, I'm following him now. Who's done this? The Spirit has done this. A miracle of salvation. And the result of that is that we go from being the natural person in verse 14 to being the spiritual person in verse 15. And it's all of the Spirit. And once again, well, with this theme that we've seen already, why does God save us the way that he does? So that there is nothing in man that we can boast in. So that we get the good and God gets the glory. That's why he does it. Salvation is from God. It is all of God. And in the end, it is all to the glory of God. And even our understanding in the hear of the hearing of the gospel is of, the, of God, the Spirit. So in the end, we just go, woe, praise. That's how it works. Quickly, let's finish the chapter. Verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The result of the Spirit helping us to understand spiritual truth is that now, as Christians, we have a starting point for evaluating all the things in our lives. Spiritual truth, reality, family, marriage, whatever it is, there's a starting point. Without the Spirit, the natural person, the, the, the worldly person, longs for something solid to believe in, something to know that is right. Like Pilate who said to Jesus in his trial, what is truth? And that's the cry of all the philosophies and all the religions of the world. We're trying to find some, something. I've got to know there's something that's real and true that I can put my hope in. And once I come to understand the gospel, now for the very first time, I have a point of reference. I have something to orient myself from and something that everything else finds its proper place from. We have a core, we have a center, we have a truth. And this is a precious thing. You know, I've been reading a book written by a man in our church on African-American spirituality. And uh, in the book, he tells stories about uh, American slavery and the experience of the, uh, of the slaves and what they were going through. And one of the things that he talks about in there is what a slave would do in order to run away to freedom. Because when you're in the deep south, you don't know which way is, how do I know where to go? And, uh, you know, they didn't have... Uh, they didn't have a compass. They didn't have, uh, you know, these GPS uh, devices uh, that, they, oh, here we are right here on this road. We'll go up here and take a left. And they didn't have that. What they did have, though, is they had the North Star. And slaves would run to freedom by following the North Star. As long as they had the North Star, they had a reference point, And they knew where they were going. It's kind of like Colorado Springs, if you've ever been to Colorado Springs. It is impossible to get lost in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Impossible. 
The city sits right next to a mountain range, and the, the, the biggie in the mountain range is uh, Pikes Peak, okay? So it doesn't matter where you are in the city of Colorado Springs. Like, if you're like, what, honey, where, where exactly are we? I'm not exactly sure. All you do is go, oh, oh okay, there's Pike. Okay, this is north. It's really great. I mean, I, we need to get one of those uh, around here, I think, because that would be really helpful around here, I think. So maybe some of you can work on that. But uh, it's impossible to get lost when you have a point of reference. And praise God, by his spirit, for his glory, through the gospel, now the Christian has a starting point for evaluating and appraising everything else in life. And if you've been a Christian a long time, I, I have as well, I'll bet we don't even begin to realize how wonderful that is. We get used to just living life this way and, and sort of thinking about things in light of the truth of the gospel. But to have a place, a firm place, a reference point by which to evaluate everything else. So I know how to be a, a, a husband. I know how to be a student. I know what I should be thinking about as I go to work or as I am a citizen, like we just participated in this last week, or as I think about recreation, or I, I think about, you know, when I go to school and there's all kinds of claims being made at school, I have a reference point and I judge everything else by it. How precious. But is himself judged by no one, it says, and all that that means, he's referring to unbelievers who they are uh, unable to discern spiritual truth and they are unable to judge spiritual people. They don't get the truth and they don't get the people either. Kind of like uh, you'll never see a blind man judging a painting contest. You'll never see a deaf man judging a music contest. You'll also never see a natural man appropriately and rightly judging spiritual truth or spiritual people. And to prove his point, he quotes Isaiah 40, who has known the mind of the Lord. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one but the Spirit, verse 10. And when the Spirit helps us discern spiritual truth, the result of that is that we actually have the thoughts of God. Okay, this, this Bible, this word is the wisdom of God. As I, by the help of the Spirit, understand what it is saying and think thoughts consistent with this, I now am thinking the same thoughts as Jesus is about it. Not that uh, his thoughts are better than ours and higher than ours and greater than ours, but ours are like his, which is what he means when he says, but we have the mind of Christ. We're starting now to think about life and reality, religion, philosophy, everything the way that Jesus does which is what it means to have the mind of Christ. So what a, what a help this is. What a comfort this is. What an encouragement this is. All things that the Spirit is doing as our paraclete, as our faithful helper. So, Let's get back to where we began. I started off by saying, you know, it's really unfortunate that in the church we have people with a good understanding, decent maybe of Jesus, decent of the Father, but confusion on the Holy Spirit. You see why? When you look at all the things that God is doing, the Spirit is central to everything. The preaching, the understanding, the applying, the applying of the benefits of salvation, regeneration, all of these things, the Spirit is doing that here. So rather than being afraid of Him, and I can say that to the, the young people that are here. If we have any children here, the Holy Spirit is not something to be afraid of. He is your 
comforter. He is your helper. He is your friend. And what a good friend he has been to every Christian. How he has helped us. So, how then can we become more or grow in, as people of the Spirit? That's the name of this message, is people of the Spirit. How can we grow in this? And just some suggestions, uh, practically, as we kind of wrap up here. What does that mean? How can we grow in this? A couple of suggestions. Number one is to learn more about him. Learn more about him. Have you ever met somebody that the more that you get to know him or her, the more you like him? Have you ever met somebody, the more that you get to know him or her, the more you don't like him? There seemed to be more response to that one <laughs> than the first one. So perhaps there are more people that the better you get to know them, the more you don't like them. But the spirit, I'm suggesting, is like the person that you meet, and the more you get to know them, the more that you like them. Because there are levels of richness of, of what he has done for us. And I would encourage us to, to get to know him. Read passages like this passage. Corinthians is going to talk a lot more about the Spirit. So this series will help us. He is not scary. He is not bewildering. He is here as our helper. Secondly, ask him to do his good work in us. The Spirit is here. God has sent him for a reason. He has certain things that he's doing here. These are things that he wants to do. When we go to prayer and when we pray, we ought to ask the Spirit to do the things that we know that he is here to do. It's like if you come to me and say, hey, would you like to go golfing? I'm like, yeah. I can hit, I can hit a seven iron 500 yards. <laughs> Referring to an early comment. Um, I would love to go golfing. You want to play basketball? I, I'm, I'm all about that. You want to go drink some coffee? Is it European cappuccino? I'm into that. You want to watch football? Mm-hmm. Don't have to ask me twice. Because I'm predisposed to wanting to do those things. The Holy Spirit is here, friend, predisposed to do the things that if we were wise enough, we would really want him to do. So ask him to do it in intercession. Ask him to comfort you. He's here to comfort. Ask him to heal. He is here to heal. In my time with prayer, I often will pray, Lord, I want you to come and I want you to fill me. Which in my understanding means that he is controlling me. That, that his, his will, his teachings is, is directing me in, the, in a daily way. Why? Because I want to bear his fruit in my life. Fruit like love. I could use a little more love. Joy. I like that. I could use some more joy. How about you? Peace. I'm good with peace. Patience. I don't know so much about that, but uh, <laughs> the things that the Spirit does are all things that I want done, and He wants to do. So ask Him to do it. In your prayer time this week, think about these benefits and say, Holy Spirit, would you do this in my life? I surrender to that. I want that. Please come and do your good work. Third is please him. Please him. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person. And much like in your relationships, when you have a relationship with somebody, and let's just say that you go, I don't want to talk to you. In fact, 
I haven't thought of you, about you for three months. That person would be like, what? You don't care about what I think? That would sort of be hurtful, don't you think, to, to say something like that? The Spirit is a person. And that's why the New Testament talks about don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. When we, will, or when we purposely disobey, we sin, we don't consider the, the will of God in our life, the Holy Spirit withdraws His blessings, the blessings that we want in our life. And so how much better it is to please Him so that His fruit can be born in us. And finally is to worship Him. The Holy Spirit is God. Friends, He is God. All the characteristics, the attributes of the Father and the Son are true of the Spirit. He is God. And we must worship Him in prayer. Worship Him in song. Sing songs to Him. We must try to please Him. He is always with us. Not as the Holy Ghost, but as the Holy Encouragement, the Holy Helper, the Holy Spirit. And this is so important. Without Him, in fact, this is what's true right now. If He's not here right now, being involved in what's going on here, this is a colossal waste of time. Nothing has been profited from our time here together without the Spirit. Nothing. Nothing. But with the Spirit here, and I pray, I pray that He is here doing His work in our hearts right now. With the Spirit, there is understanding, and there is application, and there is transformation, and there is a desire to leave and to go and to be people of the Spirit and to shine in this dark world as people with a reference point, with a North Star direction and truth. So may God increasingly create that in us, that we might be people of the Spirit. Amen? Amen.